Our scripture reading comes today from Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heavens, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, as we see an, see an interesting juxtaposition between Daniel and Babylon and the context of our coming Savior, uh, we want to peep through the various verses that have messianic promises that show who Jesus will be, what he will do, and what his kingdom will be like. As you see a few of those passages in Scripture in the next coming uh, four weeks, Father, we pray uh, that we would understand that we are also in some form of exile where our final kingdom is not here and our final ruler is not here. And in the midst of that, give us tangible reasons to be joyful, to have power, to have patience, to have long-withstanding love for one another. And Father, I pray that that would be possible because of the very nature of the Messiah that we wait for. Holy Spirit, please open our hearts. Only you can accomplish what man, it is impossible to do. So we trust in you, Father, that you will have a very specific and detailed word for every single one of your children here today, that they would know how to respond to today's message for your great joy and for their empowerment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you're probably wondering why we're back in Daniel chapter 7 now. Uh, we're going to go through Daniel a little bit more to look at maybe uh, four or five total verses to look at the nature of Christ and the coming kingdom of God and who the Messiah is. And so um, I remember there is uh, in, in my home in Austin a long time ago, we had a fence in the backyard and the fence had a small hole and the view beyond that was beautiful. There was a, uh, there was a uh, river and everything, a forest right next to it. And every time I wanted to see the river and the whole uh, um, scenery in, in our backyard beyond the fence, I had to look through a small hole in the fence and the size of the hole is obviously small, but the scenery was huge, right? Uh, and so it's basically we're looking at, we're peeping through a window of a few messianic verses like today's to look at the coming kingdom of God. And the, and the view is so huge. There's so much to talk about, but this hole, uh, the, the entrance is very small. So today we're going to be focusing especially on uh, a terminology called the son of man. And that will show us how all-encompassing and beautiful God's kingdom is. With that said, uh, before we start, let's get into the mood and the mode. Um, before Passover, uh, after the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, uh, John 12, 20 and 21 records, Now amongst those who went up to worship at the feast uh, were some Greeks, Gentiles, right? And these people came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and they asked him, and I, I love this verse, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that is the attitude and heart that I hope that we have throughout all the coming weeks of Advent. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Don't you want to see more of Jesus today? Amen? Uh, that is the sole purpose of the word today that we are seeing a glimpse into the multifaceted nature of who Jesus Christ is. So, it's similar today. 
Christmas, if we see it as a forward-looking window from the exile of Babylon, of our world right now, uh, the religious people gather to celebrate this day as the formality, the carols, the trees, uh, the charity and the good works, the organizations that we uh, are affiliated with. But those who are truly hungry, I wish we would say, sir, we want to see Jesus. And even in the midst of this short Messianic verse that we have today, we see in the book of Daniel so much about Jesus. And today's passage uh, introduces one who is like the son of a man who comes with the clouds of heaven and is presented before the Ancient of Days, God himself. Uh, This son of man uh, is a very specific uh, terminology. Uh, In the Old Testament, it's used very often, uh, but it often refers to people and humanity, right, on the one hand. But on the other hand, it's also very interesting. It points directly to Jesus himself. Jesus clearly understood himself as the son of man. He's who's prophesied in Daniel 7.13. In fact, uh, this term is used 88 times in the New Testament, and it's the primary title that Jesus gave to himself. We call him Jesus the Christ, Jesus is Messiah, but when Jesus refers to himself, more, the most often used term is the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man. And it's a very important terminology that we have to understand, and it has the following aspects that make Advent very special. So let's repeat after me. There's three aspects of the Son of Man. The Son of Man... As a title, a humble humanity. Number two, the Son of Man. As a title, of royal deity. And number three, the Son of Man. As a title, a fulfilled promise. Let's look through this. In verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. In the Old Testament, the the term son of man is used to describe uh, us, uh, humanity, a human being of human-like nature. Uh, One aspect of the son of man is basically the humble humanity that we see in our brokenness, but also in our humanity as well. And this was one of the characteristics of Jesus Christ who was presented before God. And to go quickly into the Christmas message, why is this good news for us today as we approach Christmas? Because what it means that Jesus has a, a human nature to him is that he knows that we are poor and weak, so Jesus came to serve us. Do you know that? He came to serve us. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Amen? He came to serve us. He knows our brokenness. Um, I know Christmas is a beautiful season, but a lot of people during Christmas feel loneliness and brokenness, especially if you're alone. Um, You feel more of your human nature uh, of how destitute you are without Christ. And Jesus being the Son of Man is a great comfort to us because he came to know and understand and serve us. I hope you are comforted by who he is. He empathizes with my weaknesses. Isaiah 53.3, listen to this. He was despised and rejected by men, 
a man of many sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from men who hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. That was the human nature of Christ, how he empathizes with my weakness and brokenness. And finally, he came for the lost. Luke 19.10, it says what? For the Son of Man came to seek, came to seek who? And save who? Not the intellectual, not the well-off, not the self-sufficient, those who are lost. Blessed are those who are lost without Christ. Amen? Christmas truly is for the lost. And so what does this mean? Uh, we see various facets of Jesus' humanity. What does that mean for us today as an application point? This means, mm, have you ever been in suffering and someone came to you to say, I understand. I remember I was 30 and I was praying, Lord, I guess you don't want me to get married. <laughs> and a lot of married couples came to me and said, I understand. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> That's why I never say that to singles. I'll say, you know what? I'm happily married. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when someone who is not in, in your suffering position, when they tell you, I understand, you just know they don't understand. They don't. And have you ever seen the opposite case? Someone who is suffering through the exact thing you're suffering through, and, for example, let's say, you're not graduating from college. You know you're, you're going to fail. And you have a brother who's 10 years older who says, I fail from college, I understand. And you see that he's not working or doing anything. Is that a comfort? It's like you're seeing a future vision of yourself. It's like, that's not a comfort. Like, even though you understand where I'm coming from, you don't have the solution that I'm looking for. Uh, we are picky people, aren't we? <laughs> but this is what we're trying to say, is that only someone who has suffered and then overcome can understand you. Only someone who has fully suffered what you're capable of suffering and who has fully victoriously conquered that can actually offer solace to you and comfort to you. So let's look at this picture I prepared. Uh, in the PCA, we are not allowed to show you pictures of Jesus himself <laughs> so that you wouldn't worship a PowerPoint slide, so we showed you his hands, okay? Only Jesus can empathize with us because he is human. He was able to be pierced in his hands. He had flesh and body and blood. When Jesus says, I understand, he truly empathizes with us. Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Now, a lot of you might be saying, Jesus is not just the Son of Man, he's also the Son of God. Uh, he understands, but does he really understand my temptation? Let me give you an example that kind of helps you break away from that mold. Um, who withstood more weight? A weak bodybuilder who held up 150 pounds? Or a strong one who's holding up a mountain uh, indefinitely? Who has experienced more weakness? It is a stronger person because of the weight that he can carry. Uh, when we are in our broken humanity, we say, Jesus cannot know what I suffer because I fall every day. That's the thing. We do not know the full weight of sin and temptation because we fall every day. We don't know how, what it means to fully withstand temptation and fully fight the good fight until God comes back home. Only Jesus knows the full power of sin and death. And that Jesus says, I understand. 
Do you get it? You have someone who can walk with you throughout Christmas because he knows your suffering better than you do, even. Better than you do. He is a great comforter. Amen? What a friend we have in Jesus. Point number two. The Son of Man as a title of royal deity. Let's look at verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. The Son of Man has, this is very interesting, he's not just a human being, he also has divine authority and identity. Glory, everlasting dominion, people, nations, languages, these things are only attributed to God. And it says the Son of Man has this now. We would think that the Son of God is a more solid statement about Jesus' divinity. However, Scripture, listen to this, this is very interesting. Scripture doesn't just refer to sonship in a biological sense. If you are obeying God's will, uh, Scripture also calls you children of God, sons of God, and daughters of God. So sonship is not just biological, it's also how you live your life and what you live according to who owns you, in other words. And so, that's why Jesus refers to the Pharisees as sons of Satan, children of Satan. Why? Because they did the will of Satan, not God's. And so, son of God is not necessarily uh, a divine royalty. It's anyone who does the will of God. It's a more common term. And so, what's interesting is, paradoxically, the son of man is a more divine term because of Daniel 7, 13, and 14. It's known as a more divine term that shows God's power and his kingship. Let's see an example. Matthew 26, 63 to 66. And I'll read it for us. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make to Jesus? Right? Uh, what is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And listen to the answer. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further evidence do you need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death because he claimed to be the Son of Man. Prophesied in Daniel 7.13, who was a divine figure who would receive eternal reign. The Son of Man is what makes it divine. This term got Jesus killed for blasphemy, right? That's why they, they crucified him as a political traitor. And this term also led Stephen's, uh, to Stephen's death when he cried out, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. And that's when they stoned him. Because he saw the Son of Man, not just the Son of God. This Son of Man is not just a human being. He's not just human. Uh, he is different. Why? Because in the Old Testament, when you refer to humanity, you often said, a Son of Man. A Son of Man. But the Son of Man, the definite article, the, made this uniquely divine. This is only used before the expression of the Son of Man when it refers only to Jesus. So, the Son of Man is not just a human, but it is also kingly and divine and royal. He rides on clouds. He reigns forever. He's given glory and worship and, uh, and eternal dominion and honor belong to him. What else is the Son of Man? Mark 2, 10 through 11. He forgives sin. 
Only God can forgive sin. But he says, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and, and go home. And he stands up and goes home. He executes judgment, John 5, 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a divine title who executes judgment as well. And finally, this is huge, Matthew 12, 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath, the Sabbath accords to his will, that is only divine and godlike. So what? So what, right? Here's the thing. Why does this matter so much? Uh, let's try to kind of draw back and get into a bird's eye view. The book of Judges is about 12 judges who failed to do their job. The book of Kings, I'm giving you a very good summary of all these books now. The book of Kings is a book about 20 kings of Israel and 21 kings of Judah who failed to do their job. And the book of Daniel is a story about four kingdoms that failed to do their job. They all rebelled against God. They didn't last, they didn't bless the nations, and they failed. That's why sin in Hebrew is called mission failure. To fail the mission that God has given to you and your family and your nation and your king. Sin is mission failure. But this is the good news for us. Let's look at the next picture. The kingdom of the Son of Man will not fail. I need to preach this again before presidential elections next year. The kingdom of the Son of Man will not fail. So many of us suffer because of broken political systems, broken leaders, broken families, broken personalities, broken me. The Son of Man will not fail. And the extension of this is that apart from Christ, I will fail. My family will fail. My neighborhood will fail. My kingdom, the United States, will fail apart from Christ. And so it is a comfort to know on Christmas that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son of Man will not fail. To him belongs eternal dominion, kingdom, and glory. In the fullness, it says, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Colossians 1.19, in Jesus. Beloved KSPC, what does this mean? The Son of Man, if he truly is divine, if he truly is a king above all kings, what does that mean for us? He deserves our worship and our allegiance. Amen? I want you to say that when you're at, when you're at home today. Jesus deserves my allegiance. And suddenly, uh, what angers you will change. What gives you joy will change. What you need to do that night, what you need to do that morning will change if you say, I owe Jesus my allegiance. Suddenly, your way of life changes. And so we have to remember, Jesus is the Son of Man who deserves our allegiance and our worship. Amen? Amen. Third and last point, the Son of Man is a title of fulfilled promise. Let's look at the end part of verse 14. It says, His kingdom one that shall not, shall not be destroyed. This is a promise, not just a current event. 
God's dominion, God's promises like this can only be fulfilled in the Son of Man. If you look at the Messianic prophecies in, in, in the Old Testament and you connect it with the prophecies surrounding the Son of Man, they have so much overlap. It is one and the same person. The Son of Man is the Messiah. And so the, the Son of Man is also a term that is lo- loaded with God's promises. Whenever Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, we see that God's promises are always fulfilled right in the vicinity of that word. And so the Son of Man, just so that he has, you know that he has the authority to forgive sins, he forgives someone and he stands up. The promise and the action and the event happens right then and there. And you see, event by event by event, whenever Jesus says, the Son of Man is this, the Son of Man is this, you see God's promises being fulfilled in real life, in, in, in live stream, basically. And so, the Son of Man fulfills promises is a huge idea that we find in his title. Specifically, what is promised the most in the Son of Man is his, if you look at all the verses, his rejection, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Amen? That is promised about the Son of Man. And the most important of, uh, promise of God in the Son of Man is this, that he would find a way to save us. That's the promise being made. You've been Christian so long that when I say Jesus will save you, uh, it doesn't hit your heart too much. But once again, let's think about this one more time. Jesus promises to save you. In your every circumstance, whatever happened last week, and I had a terrible week, okay? <laughs> I had a terrible week. Whatever happened... Jesus can still save. Whatever, especially, this hits the hardest. When you know that you are not living up to your expectations, when that hits the hardest, Jesus still saves. That's a promise made in the Son of Man that he has come to save us. Just before his death, Jesus says in John 12, 23, let's look at this. The time of man, the time, the, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified when does he say this? Right before he gets arrested and crucified. And so this is really weird. Jesus being glorified and Jesus being crucified is seen as the same thing. How will the Son of Man come on the clouds and be presented to God in glory before the Ancient of Days? By being crucified. By full obedience, he will show the promises of God and therefore glorify God. By dying upon the cross, in fulfillment of the promise of God, Jesus would recognize his title as the Son of Man completely. He died and rose again as he prophesied Son of Man, and that by doing so, Jesus is proving what to all of us? That God is trustworthy. This is probably the second most often repeated theme that I have in all my sermons. Number one, I hope is the gospel. Amen. And number two is what? God keeps his promises. I never conclude with, you need to keep your promises. You need to, you need to you know, uh, live a better life. That is never the conclusion. The only hope that we have is God keeps his promises no matter what. <clears throat> Mark 8.31 And he began to teach them, uh, Jesus is teaching disciples now that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What is Jesus saying? The Son of Man is here to fulfill God's promise. 
according to what was said in the Old Testament, I will keep this promise. John 3.14 says, and this verse always touches a, a corner of my heart that I never, you know, really dig into. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up upon a cross, so that all who look upon him will be cured and healed according to the promise of God. So let's look at the final picture. Once again, just a hand. The Son of Man is foundational to the promise of God to save us. And when we see the cross of the Son of Man, we are invited to what? What is, like, what is the application of like, talking about all these promises? To trust in God and take Him at His word. Amen? To trust fully in God and really take Him at His word. If I can overkill this, to really, really trust in God and to really, really rely upon His promises. Living as if it's true. So, what does that look like? I wake up in the morning, and I don't know about you, if you're, as John Piper says, an evening sinner or a morning sinner, I feel like a sinner in the morning because that's my default state. I wake up, and I'm like, I need to feed off of ego or praise. I need a you know, function to do well so that my, my, my existence is justified. I need to do this. I need to strengthen my relationships. And the list goes on and on and on until what? I say enough. Jesus is enough. Like God's promises are enough. There are so many promises of God in Christ to me that there is no deficit when I wake up in the morning. Amen? Therefore, I eat, sleep, make friends, preach, counsel, not out of a deficiency, but out of a sufficiency of God's promises for me as if it is true. Amen? To talk about the person of Christ would take forever. Uh, the Son of Man is just one title out of 198 names and titles of Jesus. He is that rich in his character. He's that rich in his power and glory. And even in the Son of Man, that title, we discover a divine king who humbled himself unto my suffering and my problems with, and identifying with my weakness. And then he fulfilled his promise and achieved victory for us. How do we summarize this? Let's look at the final slide. Lean on him because he cares. Worship him because he truly is king. And trust him because he keeps his promises. It's as easy as that. The Son of Man tells us that this is how we need to respond to him today. And I would love to, you know, continue talking about theology and the nature of Christ, Christology, what he's done for us. But here's the most important thing. Knowing who Christ really is in Christmas changes everything about life. For those who are lonely here, please lean upon Jesus. He really does know about you. He knows more about your suffering than you ever, ever will. And for those of, of you who are living a life of rebellion, and you are a Christian at church, but you are a heathen at home. And, you, and your decisions have no correspondence with your faith at all. If, if all of your information and all of your decisions are formed upon no basis in Christianity, I encourage you, Jesus is also your king. You owe him your allegiance. Study his word. Pray to him. And finally, if you are doubting 
that God could ever be so good to you, that God could truly fulfill his purposes in a broken vessel like you and I, the last word is that you can trust in him. He always keeps his promises. So look at each other and say, Merry Christmas.